Today our Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 to 23. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. Good evening, church, once again. It is a joy to be together uh, to preach God's word and to hear from him and to build our lives uh, upon this firm foundation. And I do hope that as you come in this evening, uh, that would be uh, a reality for you uh, as you, um, as you walk out of this door. So thank you for joining us. Uh, we are in week three of our series, which is titled, You Belong, and we've been working our way through the letter, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, one of my most favorite, favorite letters in the Bible. At the heart of what Paul says to these Christians is that God loves you, uh, God calls you to belong, and God calls you to move uh, towards others uh, in the same love. Uh, that he's loved you. Uh, I think in many ways, the last song that we sang there speaks about this, um, this theology, uh, this concept uh, that God tells us who we are before he tells us what we should be doing in our lives. God reminds us that we belong before he calls us to live the Christian life. And that's essential. Um, so before we get into and dive into Ephesians um, chapter 1, verse 15, uh, to 23, that prayer. I hope you keep your Bibles open to that uh, before we get there. I'm going to pray for us uh, that this God will help us um, as we get into his word. Father, we are so thankful uh, for who you are. Yes, indeed, you, O oh Lord, are worthy of every breath that we could ever breathe. You are worthy of every song we could ever sing. Father, we Know that your word is a foundation that we would build our lives on. And, and so this evening I pray that you would illumine your word, uh, that you would bring it to light in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, that whatever it is that we stepped in here with, uh, that we would walk away with this deep assurance of your love uh, for us. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live our lives um, for your glory, uh, to build our lives upon your word. Uh, speak to us, break us, make us, and shape us uh, this evening. Through Christ our Lord we ask. Amen. What does God want for your life? Quite a 
deep question to ask on a, on a Sunday evening. Very often that question uh, catches us by surprise. When you're not thinking and it catches you, perhaps you are driving uh, to work and you're stuck in traffic on Herigalon uh, and you are listening to your favorite station, 94.7 with an LM daughter. Um, and suddenly you, your mind drifts off. And then you think about that email that you have to send. You know that email where you have to tell them uh, their story, where to get off. Uh, but you're thinking about how you're going to phrase it in such a way that it's both Christian and professional. Have you ever been there? Um, I've never been there. Um, but many, many times we, we are, our minds drift away to that. And suddenly a thought comes to you that you are 28 uh, and the life that you have are now living is not one that you envisioned when you were at varsity. Uh, and suddenly you feel the sense of purposelessness. And uh, suddenly, I don't know where, bam, this question hits you. What does God want for my life? What does God want for my life? Perhaps you're in the middle of a gym session. Uh, you're pumping weights. You're looking yourself in the mirror. And suddenly it hits you that... You are responsible as a businessman to feed 25 families. Times are not that great, and you have to make tough decisions. The only contract that's on the horizon is one that needs a brown envelope, and you're so tempted to do it. Uh, And you suddenly are hit with this question. As you feel powerless, what does God want for my business? What would he want me to do in this very moment? Very often in moments of struggle, in moments where we face difficulties, we tend to ask that question of what God wants of us. Perhaps you were watching the memorial service this week of AKA, and suddenly you realize that life is but a brief breath, that it is, uh, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, that it can just be gone just like that, in a blink of an eye. And so this question again hits you. If that is the reality, if the reality is that your life can go just like that, is the way you live in your life right now pleasing to God? Uh, What would he have you do with your life? I wonder if you ever uh, grappled with uh, that question. And one of the things that we see as we look at Ephesians, particularly what we saw last week, particularly what Paul says across this book, is that our lives, your life and my life, are meant to be lived uh, for the glory of God. Uh, That everything about us, everything about what God has done, is actually about shining the spotlight on God. It is the key word, the glory of the Lord. Um, Verses 1 to 14 are all about God doing this work of bringing Christians into a community, into this family, because of the mighty act of God, and he does it for his glory. He takes us out of the streets into the family. He does it for his glory. He does this not because of anything we have done, but for the praise of his glory. On and on and on again, uh, we see that God is about his glory. God is about shining the spotlight on himself. And if you ever ask yourself the question, what does he want my life to be about? Well, the answer is quite simple, isn't it? Uh, To live for him, to live for his glory. So that when God look at your life, they would say, this man, uh, this God is awesome. Uh, Or they would say in Pretoria, Damano Blind. Uh, he is awesome. He is amazing. He's beyond uh, what any of us could ever comprehend. What does God want for my life? Well, it's easy stuff. 
to live for his glory. And now let me pray and then you go home and live for his glory. It's easy, isn't it, to live for his glory? <laughs> no, it isn't. Uh, you and I know that it is hard going, it is difficult. Our lives are a constant struggle between our God and ourselves. Uh, when God wants the glory for himself, guess what? You and I are in competition uh, with that. We also want the glory. We also want it to be about us. We also want to be at the center of it all. We want the glory. Uh, we are like a, a two-year-old, three-year-old. Um, this happened to a friend of mine. Um, I don't know if you ever observed kids playing. Um, and the one kid who doesn't have the toy, they normally wait for the other one to get the toy. I don't know why. And suddenly this toy becomes interesting and, and, and attractive. And then they go, uh, this one who doesn't have the toy, and say, Papa, can you please uh, ask uh, my brother sister to share with me? Um, can I share in this glory? Can I share in playing with this toy? Now, if you have any amount of experience, you know that that's a trap. Right? They, they don't want to share. Uh, they want it all to themselves. They want the glory. And it's the same with us. We want it all to ourselves. We want the glory. And everything about our lives uh, and everything about our, our existence uh, to exist uh, for our glory. That is the human struggle. A struggle for, for glory. Um, and so humanly speaking, it would be impossible for any of us um, to go out of here and say, what does God want for my life? To live for his glory and to just go out and simply do it. It takes a mighty act of a mighty God to bring that into action. And that's why this evening we are diving into a prayer. Prayer is a, it's a, it's a plead to God. It is a plead that God would act. Uh, that he would act mightily in our lives. And Paul prays this prayer carefully for the Ephesians uh, and the Christians uh, who were there. Have a look at verse 16. He says that he's constantly thinking about them and praying for them. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Uh, Paul prays for this uh, dearly beloved uh, Ephesian Christians who soon came to realize, as the gospel was preached, uh, that they too could belong to God's family. And so he starts off uh, in verse 15. Have a look at verse 15. He starts off by saying, for this reason. For what reason? Uh, Paul concludes this major section that he's been looking at from verses 1 uh, to 14, but he's particularly focused in on verse 13 to 14, because in verse 13 to 14, he tells the Ephesians, uh, these guys who were non-Jews, uh, who were irreligious, who used to worship at, at the temple of Artemis, who used to be pagan, uh, who are now part of God's family. How did they become a part of God's family? Well, in the same way that the Jews from verses 6 uh, to 12 became part of the family. In the same way that those who first heard the gospel came to faith. Uh, so in other words, this is massive, right? In the first century, previously the way God worked with his people is that he brought in a special people called Jewish people. Now decisively, God acts in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and he makes this access to himself, to his family, available to everyone. So this is massive. Uh, as he speaks to Ephesians, he's speaking to people who did not have a knowledge of God. Uh, and so he's outlining for them 
in verse 13 to 14, that they too were included, which is what we saw last week. They too were included. In him you also, when you had the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. Uh, Gentiles, like you, get to share in God's inheritance uh, because they had the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, for this reason, for this very reason, because you are now part of God's family, because now you belong, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. He gives thanks to what God has done. Isn't that what we are doing this evening? Singing praises of thanking God for what he has done in us and through us. I don't know if you remember a time when you were not a Christian. Uh, it takes a miracle for God to transform your life and to bring you into his family. For that very reason, uh, Paul gives thanks uh, to God. But he doesn't just stop there. Uh, he not only gives thanks uh, to God. Have a, look at, um, have a look at verse 16. I do, not give, uh, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. And so Paul goes on to pray uh, from verses 17 till the end. Uh, the content of this prayer, the content of what Paul prays for, is primarily that Christians would understand just how much they are loved. It is primarily that they would understand just how much they belong to this new family. It is a prayer that would remind them to deepen their confidence, for God to deepen their confidence in what he has done in their life. And what we're going to see as we walk through this prayer is that the life that God calls us to live is possible because of the power that he wants, us, wants Christians to know that they possess. Let me say that again. The life that God wants you to live is possible because of the power that God wants you to know you possess. Um, if I was uh, in a church uh, with a white suit and a shiny, uh, shiny shoes, I would say, touch, talk to your neighbor and tell them uh, you possess power. There's power within you. Um, now, that sounds very egocentric, um, but we're going to see the nature of this power as we walk through the scripture, that it is not something that is within us. It is the mighty working of God in the Christian's life to enable us and to empower us to live the Christian life, to enable us and to empower us to put God at the center, to enable us and empower us to live for the glory of God. Uh, and so this prayer um, is going to unpack that uh, for us. Uh, this is what Paul begins to pray for. Have a look at Verse 17. This is what Paul prays for. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, guess what he calls him, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Uh, Paul prays uh, for Christians in Ephesus and across all ages to be deepened in their understanding and in their knowledge of God. Just very simple prayer that you may know God, 
That's a simple prayer for you this evening, that you may know God. Uh, that's a simple prayer that if I were to sit across him all those years ago, I'd be like, Paul, you are in jail. How could you be praying uh, the primary prayer for you across all your letters? How could you be praying that Christians would know God better? Surely you should pray for yourself to be out of jail. Uh, surely you should pray for the situation in the Roman world at that stage uh, to change for the life of Christians, that there would be less persecution. Very often in Scripture, particularly in Paul's letters, what you're going to see is that every time Paul prays, he prays that we would know God better, that we would know God better. Paul, I'm sure if you lived in our time, you'd pray a different prayer. We live in South Africa, uh, the land of black owls and the land of hitmen. Uh, that is the world in which we live in, the world where there's 60% unemployment. Surely Paul, surely God sees this. And if you were to pray to him, you'd pray that you would heal our land. Paul says, no, I'm praying that you would know God better. Uh, you may say, Paul, wait a minute. I've been praying that the right girl may come uh, my way, amen, if you are a young man or a young woman. I've been praying for a solid eight years to meet a man. And Paul would say, no, the primary prayer is that you would know God better. Um, you may say, God, I know you know my life, right? I've been searching and looking for a new job. Why don't you come through for me? Uh, because where I am is hell. I wonder if you ever prayed those prayers and you wonder to yourself. And Paul says, well, that is important and God cares for that. But the key thing that he prays for, uh, the key thing that God cares for is that you would know him better. That you would know him better. Deeply. But pastor, you don't know the demons I have to fight with within my family. My family is broken. My father is doing all sorts of things uh, against my mom, and I cannot bear it no more. Paul says in that situation, I pray that you would know God better. Paul prays that you and I would know God better. And he doesn't do that to almost put away our struggle and put away the things that we grapple with. Uh, very often in Scripture, the prayer is not so much that the situation will change, but that we would know God deeply even in the midst of our trouble. That you would know the love of the Father even as you go through uh, those difficult moments. That he holds your hand in the mid middle of your struggle. So there's a lot of things that we could pray for, uh, many things that we could pray for, but the one thing that Paul prays for these Christians is that they would know God better. The deeper knowledge of God. Not a change in situation, but a deeper knowledge of God, of, of God. And so the question that would arise for any of us is that, why would you do that? Why is it so key for you or for Paul or for God to care so much about us knowing him so deeply? Why is it important um, that God wants us to know him deeply. And that's the rest of the prayer. As you see, the very heart of God uh, towards us, his people, the very heart of God to these Ephesian Christians who were new to the faith. Let's pick it up in verse 18, as you see. So verse 17, Paul says that he's praying that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, that is this new Christians, that is you and I in Midrand, the spirit of wisdom uh, and the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he goes on to say, having the eyes 
of your hearts enlightened. Uh, so what is Paul praying for? He prays for a deeper knowledge of God. When we deeply know God, what would happen is that our eyes would be uh, open. The eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Now let's pause there for a minute and understand and unpack what, what we mean by that. Um, very often when we think of the word heart, I don't know what imagery comes to your, your mind. When, when, when movies say, just follow your heart, very often our culture conceives of the heart as this pure, innocent version of yourself that is deep within you. That if you are just to tap into it, you will outflow in goodness into, uh, into society. Well, that's quite wrong um, because the Bible, when it speaks about God, it speaks about something, about rather the heart. It speaks about something deeper. Somebody described it this way, that the heart is regarded as the seat of emotions, the seat of knowledge and wisdom. And it can be used of a man himself or his personality. So the heart is your very, the very core of who you are. It is considered the seat of conscience and moral character. So if that's the definition, what is Paul praying for? That the very seat of our moral character would be enlightened. Uh, that if our hearts had eyes, that they would be enlightened, that our hearts, the eyes of our hearts would be opened, and that our very emotions would be enlightened, that our very, the very core of our being would be radically, radically transformed. If our eyes had hearts, or rather, our hearts had eyes, Paul prays that God would open those Eyes, that we will see God better, that we will see his work in our life better. Now, how many of us are wearing glasses? Um, a few of us are wearing glasses. Um, I, I've come a long way into admitting that I cannot actually see. And I still remember, I think six years ago, the first time I learned that I couldn't see, I could not believe it. Uh, because I was so determined, I was so sure that I could see. And this friend of mine who was wearing glasses was like, can you... Can you read there? So he started laughing at some writing, and I'm like, there is nothing there. Um, You've gone crazy. And then he gave me his specs, and then I put them, put them on, and I began to see. It was as if I was a new man, uh, that I would uh, see uh, what, what was written there. And I, I think in some ways, in many ways, the reality is true of our spiritual art. Uh, that very often we think, that we can see. Very often we think we can see, but Paul prays that God would give us specs so as to see him clearly and to see what he does in our lives so, so clearly. That he would do even something deeper and something more intense, a radical transformation of the very core of who we are. Verse 18, Paul prays, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What would happen if our eyes are enlightened? Have a look at um, the rest of verse 18. That you may know. Somebody say that you may know. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Somebody say power. To what's us who believe. So three things that Paul says there. One is that when our eyes, the eyes of our hearts are opened, we will see clearly. And three things that we're going to see. Number one is the hope that we are called to. Number two is 
the riches of the inheritance that we get as being part of the family. Number three is power. And he goes on to explain power. And my question to you as you're listening in, as we go through the rest of it, is to ask you again that question uh, during family time. If you had all the power in the world, what would you use it for? Let's dive into it. Um, The three things Paul prays, and he skips through the hope, Um, Hope is essential to the Christian uh, faith. Hope is knowing that God will do what he said he will do. It is trusting in his promises. It is building our lives upon the foundation of his promises. That is the hope of the Christian life. Uh, Verses 18. If your eyes are opened, you're going to see God clearly. And if you see God clearly, you will see that there's so much hope in trusting him. You see that no matter what life throws your way, no matter the hopelessness of this world, there is hope in God. Amen. Not only will you see the hope in God, you will see the inheritance that is on offer for you as part of this family. Remember verses 1 to 14, you belong. Now it's almost like you're taking a tour. For the very first time, you're getting to see the wealth that your family has. And they show you that as far as your eye can see, we own that. And now there's one of our ministers I'm not going to mention his name, but his family owns a farm. And I got the opportunity uh, to, he's Africans, uh, I'm going to get the land back. Don't worry about that. (laughs) But we went to this farm, and it's filled with all sorts of nice things, kudu. I was quad biking on this farm. I was like, this is is glorious. Um, This is uh, life worth living, right? And we got to drive uh, over the river. They have a river. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is fantastic. And then he said, at the end of it all, and mind you, we drove in the dead uh, for quite some time, for over 30 minutes, seeing kudus, uh, seeing, we didn't see a leopard, but apparently there's leopards there, there's crocodiles, there's hippos in this land that they own. And I was like, wow. And, and what he said blew my mind when we came back, that this was just 10% of what the family owns. This was but a tiny bit of what we owned. If my eyes were really opened, if I were to go up there, I would see the vast horizon of what they actually own. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here as he prays for Christians. That one of the things I hope that you will come to understand is that not only do you belong, but that there's so much much wealth, so much hope that you have uh, when you are part of this family, the riches of the Christian life. So the first thing that Paul prays for, uh, or that he says we will see when our eyes are open, is the hope that we have been called to, uh, the first thing. The second thing is the riches of his glorious inheritance. Um, so the question would be, what is this riches that Christians have? What, what are these riches that Paul is speaking about? Um, well, we can speculate, um, but very often when you need to know what we inherit, you need to, know, you need to look at the first person who inherited Um, Okay, so when you need to know what stands for you at the end of it all, what you stand to inherit, you need to look at the first one who inherited. Who is that person? Somebody, the first one to be, to inherit? 
Jesus. And what did he inherit? The kingdom. Um, the resurrection from the dead. A place with the Father. A place that knows no end. That he belongs to the Father. And this same Father that Jesus has is the same Father that you have. Do you believe that? That's the same Father that you have. I wonder if we believe that. I wonder if we taste it in our daily struggle against sin and against the brokenness of this world, that the same Father that Jesus had uh, is the same Father that we have. Uh, The same Jesus rose again, and he stood to inherit and to sit on the throne with his Father. So the two things we inherit, number one is a relationship, number two, an eternal relationship. Number two is the place of rulership with the Father. Can you just imagine walking around knowing that that's what you have as part of your family? Can you begin to grasp that for a moment? That no matter what, how hard the Christian life is, no matter how hard it is to live for the glory of God, God can open your eyes to see what is uh, in store for those who believe. The hope of the Christian life, uh, the riches of the Christian life. Uh, Paul says we need to be deepened. We need to ask God to deepen our confidence in that, that we are children, uh, children of God. A couple of years ago, (laughs) there was this old man. I think he used to come to... The 8 o'clock service, uh, we have three services, the 8 o'clock, 9.30, and the evening service. 8 o'clock is the pumpy one. It is awesome. It's full of gray heads, and we sing hymns, and it is a, a joy in here in the morning. And then uh, if you miss that, you can come to our 9.30, 9.30 service. So very often we meet on a, at 8, and then after 8 o'clock, we hang around for coffee. Now, this old man, I forgot his name, but I think he had some kind of dementia. Uh, so he, every now and again, would come up to different people and say, Hi, my name is so-and-so, and uh, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And then uh, you say, obviously, no, I don't know who you are. And he, goes, he would go on to tell you who he is. he say, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a very important businessman. In fact, I used to run a half billion uh, pound uh, fund, what is it, hedge fund for the British government. Okay, okay. Uh, So first time you hear that, you're like, who is this guy and why is he telling me all of this thing? And then again, the following week he would come and it's as if the speech was rehearsed, he would say the same thing. Do you know who I am? Uh, I am so-and-so and I'm a very important businessman. Um, I ran a half a billion uh, pound hedge fund for the British government. Yeah, and I looked at that. It was initially you laugh, I guess, um, because you don't know what to do. Uh, but you begin to realize, man, that, that's sad uh, that this disease would take away this man's um, ability to, uh, to engage. Uh, but I think he was doing that. I don't know him very well, but he was doing that. Uh, to reclaim his dignity, to remind you who he is. And I think in many ways, Christians also, we suffer from a spiritual dimension, isn't it? 
that very often we forget who we are. Very often we forget the things that God has done in our lives. Baby Sandra, do you believe? Do you understand the things that God has done in your life? Do not look awkward. It is glorious what he has done for us. Amen, church. Uh, that very often we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and say to ourselves, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Very often life, I don't know this expression, I don't know how to express it in English, but when someone holds you, but we say, oh, they're holding you by the, what is it? By the collar. Very often life will hold you by the collar, isn't it? Very often sin will hold you by the collar and say, I'm here. Uh, you thought you were a Christian. In fact, do you, do you even believe that you belong? I know what you did on a Wednesday. What, what if they found out what you did and, and suddenly you start this spiritual dimension where you forget who you are? Paul prays that the eyes of your hearts would be opened, that you may see the hope that you are called to not only see the hope that you are called to, but the riches that you have, that you can see and walk through the land and say, this belongs to the family, and ask them to inherit it. Ask them to uh, take care of this, uh, this, um, uh, this wealth of the family. But Paul doesn't spend most of his time talking about the hope or the wealth. He goes on to talk about the power. Somebody say power. The power of the Christian life Let's read it again from verse 18. Let's pick it up again because we need to see this logic. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the second thing. Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable, somebody say immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So there is power that is at work in your life. If you have crossed the line of faith, if you call yourself a Christian, if you belong not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done, there is power that is at work within you. Uh, there is power that is at work within you. Now what does this, what, what, what is the nature of this power uh, have a look at Paul expounding to these Christians who have this new thing uh, that they don't understand um, uh, fully. He goes on to say, And the greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. One of the things that you see across this um, chapter is that the action lies with God. And the action lies with God. So if you're asking yourself that question, what does God want with my life? And if the answer is to live for his glory, uh, then one of the things that you need to walk out of here believing is that it takes great power, power from above for us to live for his glory. It takes power uh, from above. What, what is the nature of this power? Have a look at verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, verse 20, this might, how does he explain it? This is the same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Believers, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives and operates in your life. When you are struggling, I wonder if you believe this. And he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. This is the same power that 
is at work in your life. If you knew that this is what it would do for Jesus, imagine what it would do for your life. Um, because very often we struggle and wander along in the Christian faith and you wonder if God will keep you to the end. Uh, this, if you understand this power, you'd be reminded that God is the one who holds on to you. Uh, this is the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Not only in this age, but in the age to come, God will be at work in your life through his mighty power. I wonder if you believe it, because if you believe it, you shout, Amen, that God is working in our lives. Um, that he seated Christ in the heavenlies, far above all rule. It means no demon, no sin, uh, no power of hell, as that hymn says, can ever pluck you from his hand. Um, I wonder if you believe that. Verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all, in all. This is what you stand to gain. This is what you have, in fact, if you are a believer. This hope, this riches, this power, and it is comforting. It is comforting. I still remember back in the days as a young 14-year-old Christian, one of the things that terrified me deeply is that I grew up in a church um, I grew up in church, and we would, every Sunday, recite prayers together. So I knew God was powerful. We would recite and read his law and say, God, bend our hearts to obey your law. It was uh, in the Methodist church. Um, it was a vibe back in the day. And so we grew up with some knowledge that God forgave our sins. I used to think, as a young boy, that God came once during Easter, to come forgive our sins. But I knew that I would just walk out and then start cussing with my friends. If I look back and think back at those vaga words in Setuana, I, I, I can't believe that, that that was my life. But that was me. I knew that God would work. I knew that he forgave sins. But I, I just didn't fear him. <laughs> there was something else that was more powerful. Uh, there was some other reality that was more real uh, than the reality of God, uh, the world of the ancestors, the world of fear and power, the world of, shucks, what have I done wrong? The world of, I need to slaughter to make things go right. I used to fear that world. I came to realize um, the more and more that as I read the scriptures uh, that God works mightily, that God is more powerful than any ruler, than any authority in this world. I think suddenly it hit me that those things are powerless and that this king is actually king above all. Now, in my fears, in my struggle, um, <laughs> once you begin to understand that, it does an amazing work in your life. Once you begin to understand that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that set him high above any authority, lives in me. I wouldn't say my fear disappeared <laughs> because faith is a journey. 
But suddenly I came to realize that this God is much more powerful and that no power of hell can plug you from his hands and that that gives you the confidence to live the Christian life. That gives you the confidence to have no fear of sin, of death um, in your life. That gives you confidence to want to live the Christian life, to want to live for his glory because, again, let's go back to our summary The life that God wants you to live is possible. Why is it possible? Because of the power that is at work in you. The power that God wants you to know, longs for you to know that it is at work in your life. Um, As you read, um, as we end of our time together, the more you read chapters 4, 5, 6, you wonder to yourself, how is it even possible to do this? Let me pick up a few things that God calls us to to live for his glory. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Christians, if you live in a community, if you live in your family, if you live anywhere where there's people, this ought to be the mark of your life. Humility. That is, (laughs) what is humility? Putting others before you. Easy stuff, isn't it? Easy stuff. Humility, gentleness. Don't you wish like punching someone in the face? Did I say that from the pulpit? I never, I don't struggle with such things. Patience. Easy stuff, isn't it? (laughs) Bearing with one another in love. How difficult is it to do that? Very difficult. What kind of power do we need? Well, we need power that raised Jesus from the dead. That is the only way we get to live for the glory of God. Another thing, be angry. Okay, do not sin. Okay, have you ever been in midland traffic? Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Easy stuff, isn't it? When you're stuck and somebody cuts you off, it is so easy to live the Christian life and to live with God at the center. Well, of course we know it isn't. How will we ever do that? Well, it is this power that is at work in our lives that would work to bring us to full obedience of God. The Christian life is not about you trying harder. The Christian life is about you coming to the realization that you cannot do it apart from God's power. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as Christ, even as God in Christ forgave you. How easy is it to forgive? How would we ever do this? Well, it takes power, power from above, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead for us to be able to achieve this. Chapters 5, towards the end, he talks about three different relationships that shape the Roman home. One of them is parents and children. One of them is husbands and wives. One of them is slaves who used to live in the compound. He says to wives, wives, submit to your own husband. And you would say, have you met my husband? Um, As to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Easy stuff, isn't it? Gareth Max, amen? It isn't easy. As Christ loved the church. Do you know what Christ did to love the church? He died for the church. That's not easy stuff. How will we ever do this? Well, Paul reminds us that it will take power for us to accomplish this. Uh, That the life that God is calling us to is possible to carry out because of the power that he wants us to know that we possess. 
the power that is at work in us. It is not the power that is within you, like our culture says. It is power from above, because you and I are sinful and completely, uh, utterly powerless to live life for the glory of God. Now, if you know this, if this is what Paul prays for, can you imagine how this would transform our prayer life? As we step into this week, there's many things to pray for, but what if we were to pray that we would know God better? that we would know the hope that he's called us to, that we would know the riches that we have in this family, that we would know the power that we have to carry out what he calls us to do. So I challenge you this week in your prayer time uh, to pray for three different people. One is yourself, that the eyes of your hearts would be open, that you'd see what God is calling you to. The other one is perhaps somebody in your life group, if you're not part of our life group. Uh, life groups are small communities of Christians that meet across uh, Midrand here at the church uh, that seek to study God's word and to do the Christian life together. Pray for somebody that they would know God better, that they would know the hope that they call to, that they would know the riches of his glory, that they would know the power that they have. Pray for that guy in the office who is not a Christian or that girl in the office, that they would take that initial step of coming to know this God who calls us to live for his glory. Amen. Please bow your heads as our leaders in prayer. So, Lord, we do pray as Paul prayed that you deeply change us, that you change our character, our attitude. And our perception towards life, that you would open up our eyes to have this deep confidence in all that you have done for us. This deep confidence that we belong to you. That we may know the hope that you have called us to, the riches of one day having to rule with you, one day having to belong to you for all of eternity, that no power of hell no scheme of men can ever take that away from us. I pray that you remind us of that reality uh, when life uh, is challenging us, when sin has us by the neck, that even when we are hopeless about the Christian faith, that even as we listen to voices that tell us that we no longer belong, I pray that you would revive our hope, that you would open up our hearts and our eyes to see the hope that we have. Uh, that we would know the riches of your inheritance um, that we have in you. And most of all, Lord, that we would be aware of this power that is at work in us, this power that enables us to live the Christian life. And, Lord, that we would step out into this week with a sense of hope and a sense of confidence that we can do this Christian life once again. Not because of us, but because of who you are. And for the sake of your glory, we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.